five or something like that. But the whole goal of the whole Philippians thing, which you can read about here, uh, if you haven't already, um, is yes, the, our sermon notes for today was on the front. The forward to the Philippians series is right here. Then just announcements on the back. Yes. Yeah. You know, I could actually actually go into this. You guys. Yes. Yeah, the whole book. Uh, we have it broken up into eight different messages, covering every word. What's that? What chapters? And all four chapters. Yep. Yep. I I'll, actually actually I can have a minute to explain it here because our message our time's gonna be right at eleven today. So. Yes, if you, uh, if you receive one of these today, I would love to actually, but I don't know if I'll have time. Um, I would love to just like kind of pitch this to all of us, the Philippians. But the whole pitch is in these pages here, so please see that in the gospel. The whole purpose of pausing Luke and going into Philippians is that uh, to create, we're praying for the faith of the Philippians for FCC. They have gospel unity and the Philippian church, not just unity, gospel unity. And that's our prayer, that we would all be on the same page, gathered around Christ. That's, that's the most important thing. And so uh, the foreword is a case for that in the first two paragraphs. And then how can we have gospel unity if the gospel isn't clear? Uh, so the gospel is printed on the second page. Um, I'm really excited to go into this, and we'll, this is, I think this is a, I have a lot of faith that this is like the next chapter kind of thing that we're doing here, because just the way it came about between Leonard and I and that we paused for it, I think it's a God-driven vehicle that we're going this way, so, all right, so Father, we come to you and pray for your kingdom come, your will be done in this space, and provide us what we need to adore you as Father, to have that childlike faith uh, in the things that you say, Lord Jesus, what you took from the Father, what he gave you, and what you grant us understanding of through the power of your Spirit. May that take place today, and may your name be lifted high in all of us here and online, and all who would push play on this in the future. Thank you. Thank you. That's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're just, let's get to our text today. I wish I had more time. When I go do the first week of the Philippians, uh, week number one in the Philippians, that's when uh, I'll kind of pitch it to you. Even We've pitched it to you, but just kind of read you, put our minds in the right space. But for now, let's go to our text we were in today. Luke 11, 1 through 13. <clears throat> hey, it's good to be back with you guys. This is nice. Yeah. And, and the meetings that have taken place, that's fruit happening, and that's awesome. So, no, um, uh, th th that's a good re reason to pause our class for so fruit can happen. So, But fruit's going to continue to happen here, God willing. So let's go. Um, my plan today, read the text. Uh, most of my brain cells went to the Philippians this week. Uh, so and I, uh, I have the Heidelberg Catechism, which I that's going to help us out today more than whoever put that together, put more work into our session today than I did. But, 
All right, now, verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Um, one of the things that changed my perspective on prayer is this D.L. Moody quote that I heard. And um, he said, I'd rather be a good prayer than a good preacher. And this is D.L. Moody. He, was, uh, he had the gift of evangelism. He needed to use his mouth a lot. But he wanted to use his heart and his mouth in more of the arena of prayer than preaching. And his reason was Jesus never, ne Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. And so, so thanks D.O. Moody because that kind of reoriented, that reorients things for us. Such an important thing, preaching. Um, God saves people through preaching. Uh, and prayer is kind of the yearn, the hunger, the disparity to beckon God and beg God, because we're all beggars before God, as Luther said, uh, to bring his power into that moment. And there is no power into that moment apart from pulling down heaven with your prayer, so to speak, per the invitation of God. All right. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Now I want to go through the prayer from uh, Matthew. And I, I don't know why there's a distinction here. I just know that Matthew writes to a Jews, Jew, uh, not a Judas, a Jewish audience. And uh, Luke writes to a Gentile ruler, we think. And so maybe that's where the distinction lies. Maybe that's why he excludes some things for the benefit of this one understanding. But, uh, but first, why do Christians need to pray? That's what, that's, uh, what the Heidelberg uh, Catechism says. And it gives us these answers, and I love this. Um, why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And they, these are all sourced. I'm not going to go to every source. I'd love, I would love to, to qualify every statement with a Bible verse. I think that's very important. But I'm going to go to just a few. Uh, this is Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of, and here's our word, thanksgiving. Uh, we should be diligent to give God thanks because he was restless and relentless to give us grace. Um, so offer to God sacrifice of thanksgiving. It says elsewhere in scripture, enter my gates with thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble and a promise here and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And also, the Heidelberg continues, and also because God will give us grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. And references to these are Matthew 7, 7 through 8 and Luke. Well, we're actually going to hit those verses later. Next, it asks a question. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism does. It, it asks questions and it answers them. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us. And here I, there's one, two, three here. First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking 
for everything he has asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. And this is the uh, site for that. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who call on him and all who call on him in truth. Only God gets to say who God is. So we come to God on God's terms, not ours. That's the difference between our prayers being fruitful and just being words. We come to God on his terms. So we know God for who he is and we want God for who he is. We don't want God for anything that he isn't. because That's not God. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him and also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. The uh, righteous are those who love God for who he is. That's what Jesus bought for us on the cross. Um, the second thing. Second, asking the question, how do we pray that he will listen to us? Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Like this is, this is the God who says, I dwell in unapproachable light. Yes, for his children, he gives us what Leonard said in his message. Um, he's approachable for his children. But the Bible teaches he dwells in unapproachable light. It's that you see him and savor him for all that he is. It's this struckness that paralyzes you. And just... John and um, Daniel um, in the Bible, they, they see an angel, and the, and the angel in itself is so glorious that I think the, Daniel faints like three times in Daniel 10 before he even can get a word out. It's, it's kind of funny to me. All right, we're going to talk, and they just out. Okay, come on. It's like three times later, and then until the angel has to give him strength to stand. Anyway. Uh, and in the book of Revelation, John sees an angel. So imagine just seeing the things that God made and it's so glorious. Or the Israelites unable to touch the mountain in Mount Sinai or go near it. Or they tell him to be quiet because we're going to die if he keeps talking. That's the fullness of the presence of God. It's just this overwhelming to the fullest extent of the word. So we have to be struck by that at times. We fear the Lord and, uh, in a way that humbles us and puts us our hearts in the position it needs to be in. Um, and the qualifying verse for that, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place, in this space of reverence is accomplished in the, heart, in the eyes and the minds and the hearts of the saints. Pray through that. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation even though we do not deserve it. God will surely listen to our prayers because of Christ our Lord. He has promised us in his word. <coughs> Daniel 9, verse 17. Now therefore, I took pictures of these on my phone because I didn't have time to mark my Bible. <laughs> uh, therefore, now therefore, 
O our God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. There it is. As gospel speak before the fullness of the gospel is brought to bear in scripture. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. That's why the God of the universe, God of the church, our God, does anything for his name's sake. Oh my God, because of your city and the people called by your name. God is faithful to us because he said he would be. That's a good father. Father, we can trust him. Next question the Heidelberg Catechism is asked. Has, what has God commanded us to ask of him? Answer, everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the power Christ our Lord himself taught us. We have a father who uh, says, pray for everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God first. I was thinking today, I realized when, as Leonard was going, that uh, seek the kingdom of God first. He says that after he teaches them, teaches his disciples how to pray, right? Um, and in the prayer that we prayed today, that we sang today, that we, we, that we sang most every Sunday, uh, that we say most every Sunday, and that we learned about today, um, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We seek your kingdom first before we get to give us today our daily bread, right? In the very prayer he taught us, he just taught us to pray when he moves on and says, seek the kingdom first. It's almost like he's teaching the same thing twice in a row. And we get to, as we'll see, have a father who wants us to pull out his pant leg and pray for everything that we need. Only thing is, he reorients what we think we need in our mind, and then we pray in that direction, right? Not just, I would like a Ferrari, or a pony, whatever. Um, next question, and then we get into the Lord's Prayer. What is prayer? And then he states this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? Answer, to awaken in us, at the very beginning of our prayer, what should be basic to our prayer, a childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our Father. We're adopted. And will much less refuse to give us what we ask for in faith than our parents refuse things of this life. It's God's delight to give you things that are according, in accord with his will. And we need to know the word of God so that we know the will of God. Next, why the words, who is in heaven? 
Father who is in heaven. These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way and to expect from his almighty power everything needed for body and soul. So we come to God or see him as father and see him as a otherly father. Jesus calls him in, the, in John 17, holy father, holy. He's distinct and different and that makes him distant. Father makes him is a familiar term to us and brings him near and close and dear. Holy Father. This is no earthly father like some of us in here. Different, distinct. What does the first petition mean? Hallowed be your name. It means this. Help us to truly know you, to honor, to glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. God is holy. It's notable. The Bible calls God love twice. It says he's holy 300 times. And it means help us direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. <coughs> the second petition, your kingdom come, means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you, preserve and increase your church, destroy the devil's work, Destroy every force that revolts against you and every, excuse me, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Kind of protect and preserve God as he is through how he's revealed to us. His word. Do all this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. The day's coming, by the way. All the fluff and minutia and all that's unhelpful and unglorious will be swept away. And all that is in us uh, will not survive that day either that doesn't line up with his kingdom. And don't you want that? <laughs> I, I can't wait for that. Um, I'm tired of sin, right? <laughs> tired of living in a world. It's, it's, I'm tired of fighting with myself sometimes. Oh my goodness, that's the biggest one. Yeah, no more struggle within... One of the glorious things about heaven, the possibility of sin has been removed. Indeed, <laughs> yeah. What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It means this. Help us and all people to renounce our own wills. We'll talk about that more in Philippians. And without any back talk to obey your will for it alone is good. One of the things that I mentioned in here, um, the will of God is bigger than our prayers, so that our prayers should be guided and powered by the word of God to accomplish the will of God, as I kind of vaguely said earlier. This is what it means to pray this prayer we're talking about here. It's very intentional that we, uh, Leonard and I planned uh, to have a, some kind of prayer initiative 
uh, once we got to this chapter. Jesus teaches how to pray. And there's a little story about how we got into Philippians, but um, and we saw together in the book, in our own space, God is working on both ends, what we need. Amen. Uh, oh, it also means, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everyone, uh, help everyone carry out his office and calling. How God has blessed you and where he's put you, be that to the full extent you can. As willingly and as faithfully as the angels in heaven. Look at what ministry God has put before you. And do that to the fullest extent you can, just as the angels in heaven do. What does the fourth petition mean? Give us this day our daily bread. It means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care or work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Next, what does the fifth petition mean? To forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It means because of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, poor sinners that we are, any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us, wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. Um, any incompatibility that we have between God and us has been completely nullified by the cross. He drank our cup dry and gave us his cup full, completely forgiven. The freedom that that, how that helps you to sleep and how that should go out to our neighbors. Yes? Uh, when we pray, we want to ask for forgiveness for our sins, personal Yes, sins. we have some active sins and still in us. it says, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. So mm -hmm. how does that, you know, we want to be forgiven. How do we forgive other people? In what sense? Would that be money-wise? The word, you see the word debt and it makes you kind of think. You see the word debt kind of makes our minds go to. Sounds like money, but, but yeah. uh, what are we forgiving? Are just the burden? Transgressions and wrong done to us. Anybody who comes to us forgiven. Anybody who comes to us for forgiveness. Or even if they don't come to us and we have something against us. What's that? I'm sorry. Duh. In regards to forgiveness, absolutely, yeah, um, because there's nothing that we bring to God in confession and faith in the cross of Christ that he does not forgive us for, and so when people seek that out, we mirror what they could have in Christ, or what they've experienced in Christ, maybe to give them the conviction on their heart to come to you. I had to apologize to a man 
three, four weeks ago for something I said. It's the wrong thing to say, and I was convicted about it. And so I bring that forward. And um, so I, I, I just had to do this. <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, we want we want our justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of the Yeah. Forgiveness is fully, freely, and forever. Think about how that would help your marriage. Yeah. Okay. What's the sixth petition mean? And then we'll get back to it and close it out. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are so weak that we cannot stand, that we cannot stand on our own a moment, and our sworn enemy, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. Uh, the word of God is the weapon of God in the battle of temptation. Because all of temptation will causes you to scratch an itch that will make you believe that if you don't scratch this itch, you will not have pleasure. It's kind of like FOMO, fear of missing out. That's like the power of temptation. Um, and sin will convince you to believe that there is greater pleasure in it than in God in that moment. And so we go to the truth so as to tell that which is in us, which is trying to convince us that temptation, we tell it the truth and it's dispelled. The fight is getting to the word of God because sin will be patient to work you, as um, Psalm 7, I think, says, or uh, Proverbs 7. How do you conclude this prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This means we have, we have made all these petitions to you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because of your holy name, and not we ourselves, should receive all him, he should receive all the power, all the praise forever. What does that little word amen express? Amen means this shall truly and surely be. For it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel my heart, that I feel in my heart that I desire 
such things from him. Read that again. For it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. Um, the knowledge of God hearing our prayer is more significant than the feeling we have in our prayer. Your prayers feel pretty weak at times. And no matter how <coughs> glorious we might, our prayers might bring us to a point in that space with God. I, don't, I always remember my prayers are pathetic compared to him. And so I love <laughs> uh, Romans 8, 26, somewhere around there. Um, the Spirit is helping us pray. The Spirit is groaning. It's God translating the will of God and the saints that belongs to God to God. He's in your prayer saying, uh, he means this. <laughs> and translating the groan. We don't know what to say with our words, as Psalm, or as uh, Romans 8 says. But we, when we don't know, when we just that, <clears throat> that we feel, the Spirit translates it translates that to God for us. That's pretty cool stuff. Um, and it's an insane comfort to know that God is helping us pray even when we don't know what to pray for. Now back in Luke, and he said to them, and we'll finish here, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight, so this is already a, at an inconvenient time, uh, say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on the journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, do not bother me, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Right? In the typical household at the time, there wasn't a lot of rooms, they didn't, there wasn't a master suite, there wasn't a nursery and a kid's room, they all had a, they did their best <laughs> with, their, with the beds they have, it was normal life for them. So for him to get up would wake the family, so to speak. If you have small children that you just got to bed after a, <laughs> an effort to do so, you will appreciate this text more. I tell you that though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, not for the reason that they're friends, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, that's why he's going to do it. Friends might be close enough to say, no, dude, get out of here. You know what time it is. Um... He will raise and give him whatever he needs. So look, this is God's invitation for us to bother him, to pester him, to keep coming to him. I have a friend, and I love this friend, but he's wrong in this. He said, I pray about one thing, and I leave it on the floor, and I never go back to it again. Well, your faith in that moment is awesome. You believe in God for this. But, I mean, this teaching here kind of says, keep going. So uh, pray until you have what you want, and if you never get it, He'll change your desires along the way. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer, as we've heard said. No is an answer. Silence is an answer. So God invites us here to continuously pull on his pant leg, keep coming to me. He's not, he doesn't have short wicks like we do. Like, you know, he's not like, you know, get away from me, kid, you bother me. That's not God. Verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be done for you. Here's our promises. I love this. Ask, and it will be done for you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now, he has to, he has to right the ship in our hearts before this happens. But he delights to give us what we ask for that's in alignment with his kingdom. He's saying, yes, 
whole reason I'm changing you is so I can give you what you want, so I can accomplish these things in the world. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. That's why I think Bible reading shouldn't be called reading, it should be called seeking. Seek and you will find. So quit reading your Bibles and start seeking in them. And then he goes into this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will uh, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Like God's not going to pull any fast ones on us. Not when we're asking for what's in accordance with his will. He'll give us his will with delight. He'll fill our hearts with a desire and, and then he'll purchase their to pray for that. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, I've always loved this. Not many people love this, but I understand why. Uh, but if you, he calls his own disciples evil. If you who are evil, we'll talk about that in a sec, know how to give, give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, he contrasts you who are evil and father. Now, he's already opened up Heavenly Father pretty well for us, right? The contrasts of us and the Father is polar opposite. We're evil, he is not. And so the truth of his grace should supremely scandalize us that even though we are evil and he is so good, he's advanced us, causing us to desire for the things that are within him, as we'll see in Philippians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God causing you to desire and to will his good pleasure. He loved us first, regardless, in spite of our evil. And so anything that we should receive from this heavenly Father is cause for praise and should induce um, remarkable praise from us and thankfulness. Um, I have more, but I think that's good. If you got one of these, please, please read this. They passed these out while I was on stage. I actually asked Jason, I was like, hey, is that the Philippians thing? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, I I think they're back there. Um, This is what I tried to send you, that I had a hard time with your email. I tried again this morning, too. Um, And so... um, Let's pray out of that last verse, and he'll give the spirit to those who ask as we close today. Father, we come to you as you have prescribed with no other hope but Christ. Jesus, you have done the work of completely leaving us no other option but yourself already by chapter 11 in Luke. And you continue to. 
and thank you that you do. If you're all we have, you're the only thing we need. And so, if we have nothing else, help us to rejoice if we have Christ. Because we have everything we need. And so, thank you beyond what my, the few syllables my tongue and mouth can make to say that word. May, it, may thankfulness fill our hearts unto glory. And may you widen our hearts to pray asking you for the Holy Spirit, which I ask for all of these and our church. Spirit, that you would be active in doing what you love to do, making us one people with one mind in Christ, with one gospel, one body, with one spirit, with one mission, your mission, to glorify Christ in the earth. Show us what that looks like in the practical day-to-day -day deeds part of it and in the character-growing fruit of it. Because, um, Lord Jesus, we need to know so much more than just your Godness. We need your God-wordness. We, we need to be, our, we need our trajectories changed, helped. And I pray that in a unified that in this place at FCC, you would grant that gospel unity and help us to give you no rest until we have this in this place. Every time we think of this place, think of you. Help us to pray for this gospel unity that would glorify your name. And may we be so joyful that your name is glorified as you delight to give us the kingdom, as your word says. It's for your wonderful name we thank you and praise you. Amen.